Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When people begin to read through the New Testament in order to discover more about the Lord Jesus, one of the things that people tend to notice is that there are two different genealogies in the scriptures. There's one genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew, and there is another genealogy in the Gospel of Luke. And the reason why people tend to notice these two genealogies is because they say two completely different things. They describe two different lineages. This is very noticeable if we are concerned about the identity of the Lord Jesus, and this would be a blatant contradiction if we were to look at these genealogies from that point of view, expecting them to be identical. Now, the most important thing for a person to understand when reading through the scriptures and discovering something that they don't understand, what, what you need to understand if you do not understand what you want to understand, is that there is nothing wrong with the scriptures. There is nothing wrong with the New Testament. If there is any confusion that exists, it has to do with us. It does not have anything to do with the scriptures. I really believe that. And because I believe that, I feel confident in saying that if a person really wants to know the answer to questions such as this one, why are there two different genealogies? If a person really wants to know, then I believe that in time the Lord will find a way to provide the information that a person needs to have in order to answer a question such as this. I really do believe that, and so I want to encourage you to consider the fact that it is not a crisis when you discover something that you don't understand right away. It is not a crisis. There is no need to immediately reject the Lord Jesus. Do some research. Ask people questions. Ask the Lord questions. I believe that if a person really wants to know the answers to these kinds of questions, that they will eventually find those answers. And when it comes to the subject of two different genealogies in this radio program, I'm going to explain to you everything you need to know to answer the question of why there are two different genealogies, why they are different and why this does not describe a contradiction of any kind, and why these two genealogies are important, why they should be exactly where they are. Now, the first thing that I believe a person needs to understand is why these genealogies were kept. Why did people keep these genealogies at all? It's a very important question to ask, because if you don't understand why they were kept why they were used and how they were used, then you're not going to understand the importance of their existence or the importance of them being in the New Testament. So the first thing I'm going to do is explain to you why these genealogical records were kept. 
Now, what you need to understand in any part of the world, in any culture, in any society in the history of humanity, everybody needs a place to be. Everybody needs some place where they can legitimately exist. You need a place to work. You need a place to rest. You need a place to store your stuff. You need a place of some kind in order to legitimately be in this world without having to be concerned about somebody throwing you out of whatever place you are currently in. Now, when it came to the nation of Israel, the land of Israel was given to the nation of Israel by God personally, and he describes this gift as an inheritance, that he gave the land to them as an inheritance so that they would have a place to be, they would have a place to store their stuff, they would have a place to work, they would have a place where they could reside in safety and be secure and continue to live for generations to come. So the land was given to the nation of Israel by God personally, and the land was to be distributed amongst the different tribes. There were 12 tribes in Israel. The Levitical tribe did not receive any land as part of the inheritance, and there are some very important reasons why that's the case. If you will listen to the programs that I produced on the subject of tithing, you can hear all about the importance of the Levitical priesthood not having land as the other tribes did as an inheritance. And so the land of Israel was actually divided into 11 parts. There were some areas that were reserved for the Levites, but for the most part, the land was divided into 11 different localities, 11 different areas. And every tribe would distribute their land to their own people. Now, over time, people would die and they would need to pass ownership of the land to their children, if they had any children. And if they did not, then there were accommodations in the law in order to deal with those circumstances. But in the event that a person died and had children, they would then pass ownership of the land to their children. And this land would be passed to the sons. There was an exception when it would be passed to the daughters. I will explain that in just a moment. But for the most part, ownership of the land would be passed to the sons. Now, the reason why land was passed to the sons through the paternal line was because, first of all, the men were generally the ones who did the labor of working the land. The men did the majority of the labor, and so they owned it because a person should have the freedom and the right to be able to work and keep what they earn. They are not slaves to someone else. They don't have to make agreements with someone else. The Lord set the people free from Egypt to be free, not to enter into a new form of slavery. And doing work without being able to claim ownership of your work, of what you produced, is a form of slavery. And so the men had ownership of the land because they did the work on the land. That is how the society at that time viewed inheritance rights, especially when it came to the land. The other reason why it was passed through the paternal line was because of war. The ownership of land depends on a person's ability to defend it. 
Throughout the course of history, we have had an enormous number of wars just over land. These wars have taken place and they will continue to take place in the future. There will be no peace on earth until the Prince of Peace himself returns to establish it. And so between now and the return of the Messiah, land will be defended by the men. In general, it's the men who fight the wars. If you discovered that down the street or at the border of your state or country, there was a huge army amassed that was about ready to travel to where you are to take everything you have, would you send your wives and your daughters to go and fight these people in order to prevent these people from murdering and destroying? Would you do that? No, in general, it's the men who will go and fight the war. They are the ones who defend the land, and so they are the ones who owned the land. So this is why inheritance rights was passed through the paternal line in Israel. Now, in the event that a man did not have any sons, he only had daughters, in that circumstance, an exception was made that, yes, ownership of the land could pass to his daughters. This question was raised in Numbers chapter 27, and it was reviewed again in Numbers chapter 36. But in Numbers chapter 36, there was a stipulation that was given that in the event that this took place, in the event that a man had no sons, the land was transferred to his daughters in order to ensure that his family still had a place to be, had a place to work, and had a place to store their stuff and things like that. In order to ensure the safety and security of a man's family, the daughters could receive ownership of the property, but the stipulation was was that they could not marry anyone outside of their tribe. Because the moment that they married, their husband would then assume ownership of the land, and this would be a permanent transfer, a permanent transfer of wealth, one of the many reasons why it would be very important for a woman to be very careful about who she agreed to marry as a husband. She needed to be very careful because this was a one-time event. You marry and you will transfer ownership of the property to your husband, and it will always be his from that day forward. He would need to be in the same tribe in order to ensure that the land that was distributed to the 11 tribes initially stayed within those tribes. Now, of course, if a woman was absolutely determined, determined to marry someone outside of her tribe, she could do that. She just could not take ownership of the property with her and it could not be transferred to her new husband. In that case, the elders would determine who the property would go to. It would either go to her sister or divided amongst her sisters if she had more than one, or the elders would determine an alternative in order to make sure that the land did have an owner. It's just that it would not be owned by someone in another tribe. That did not take place. So what I want you to understand is that the ownership of the land was critical to the society of Israel, to the nation, to the communities, to the tribes. And so in order to ensure proper ownership of every piece of land in Israel, these genealogies were maintained. These genealogies, genealogical records, were kept in order to ensure proper ownership and transfer of that ownership 
of the land. Now, if an individual received land as an inheritance through these genealogical descriptions, if they received land, if they were the owners because their father died, if that happened, then how would we know if this genealogy describes the transfer of ownership to a man, to a son, or to a woman, as in his daughter. How would we be able to distinguish between those two genealogies? It would have to be done, because if you did not have some way of recording in these genealogies that the genealogical record describes a transfer of ownership to a daughter as opposed to a son, then there could be a mistake in the future. There could be a problem in the future that the daughter might accidentally or intentionally, either way, marry someone outside of her tribe, in which case there would be a transfer of ownership of one plot of land belonging to one tribe to another tribe. And this simply was unacceptable. So how did they make sure that this would never take place? Well, the way that they did this was they added an additional word into the genealogy that would describe the transfer of property from a man to his daughter because he had no son. In the event that this takes place, the genealogy would be modified to include the definite article before each name in the genealogy. The definite article is the word the in the genitive sense. It's a very important word in the event that you see a genealogy with this word before each one of these names. If you do, then you know that this is the genealogy of a daughter who had no brothers and all of the property was transferred from her father to herself or distributed amongst any sisters that she might have. So that is how genealogies were maintained. That is how they were kept and that is how they were read. If you take a look at the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 3, you will discover that in English there is no definite article in front of each one of those names, but in the Greek there is. In the Greek text that Luke wrote, he put the definite article, the, in front of each one of those names in order to explain to us, to show us that this genealogy is the genealogy of Mary, not of Joseph. It is the genealogy of a woman. In this case, it is Mary's genealogy, the mother of Jesus. But Joseph is put into that genealogy because she married Joseph, and Joseph is now the official owner of all of the property that Mary would have inherited from her father. It's a very important thing to understand that has not been conveyed in English because what we have in most of our Bibles are paraphrases of what has been written in the Greek. So when you look at the Gospel of Luke and you see the genealogy there, you should understand that this is, in fact, the genealogy of Jesus' mother, Mary, but this is why. It's because of that definite article that is in front of each one of those names. Now, the genealogy that we have in Matthew does not have the definite article, and so we can have confidence that this genealogy does, in fact, describe the direct lineage between Joseph and his forefathers, that this is the lineage of Jesus' father, Joseph. So we have two different genealogies 
One genealogy is of his father's line, and the other genealogy is of his mother's line. The reason why Luke included the genealogy for his mother's line is because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, and of course, because of that, his official genealogy is through Mary. It really isn't through Joseph. So why would Matthew include Joseph's genealogy? If Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, then what's he doing including that genealogy into the scriptures? Well, this has to do with another reason why the genealogies were maintained. They were maintained for the purpose of ensuring that property rights were properly transferred. However, there were additional reasons. For example, what about the king? Well, the king had property, and the ownership of that property had to be properly transferred. But in addition to that, there was the authority of the king that was transferred to his son. It was very important to identify all of the children of the kings in order to ensure that we would know at any given time who would officially have the right to the throne of Israel. This is a very important question to answer. We need to know who is the official king in the land. And so the genealogies were maintained for that purpose. And if you were to look at the Gospel of Luke, the genealogy of Mary, we do have the genealogy that goes back to King David, which is very important to see because, of course, the prophecies that our God gave to us do include a prophecy concerning the genealogy of the Messiah. According to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the Messiah would be a descendant of David, of King David. And so that is a very important thing to be able to see and identify. But when you recognize that purpose of the genealogies, when you understand that the lineage and the authority of the king to include the lineage and the authority of the Messiah was dependent on our ability to prove the fact that Jesus is who he should be and that he is a descendant of David, when you consider all of these things, there is a little bit of a challenge when you look at the Gospel of Matthew because In the Gospel of Matthew, we have a lineage that is different, of course, from the Gospel of Luke. The lineage in Matthew does go back to King David, as it did through the Gospel of Luke, through Mary's lineage. However, the genealogy that is described by Matthew is not an acceptable genealogy for the purpose of declaring Jesus as the king. This is a very important issue to understand because there are many people who have been making the assertion over the course of history, have been making the assertion that Jesus is able to assert or to claim his right to the throne of Israel through his father Joseph being of the lineage of the kings. But unfortunately, that cannot be the case because that lineage was defiled by one of the kings and God made an official declaration that there would never be a king according to that lineage ever again that he would officially recognize. For example, in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Well, that, of course, was because Jeconiah was a really bad king and some other factors involved as well. But what I want you to see is King Jeconiah is found here in verse 11, in the genealogy that we have recorded in Matthew. And this is where 
the lineage of the kings was defiled. It was defiled by King Jeconiah. What happened was, was that the prophet Jeremiah wrote down the words of the Lord, and he presented the word of the Lord to King Jeconiah on a scroll. And the king, King Jeconiah, he decided to burn the scroll. That was his response to the word of the Lord that was given to him through Jeremiah the prophet. This is described in Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 27. That's Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 27. King Jeconiah was also known as King Jehoiakim, Coniah, Jeconiah. He went by three different names throughout the scriptures. But it's the same person. This lineage of the kings was declared to be defiled because of the act of Jeconiah burning the scroll that was presented to him by Jeremiah as the word of the Lord. And so the Lord declared that the lineage of the kings was broken at that point. And because of that, because this lineage was officially cursed, it was not possible for the Messiah to ever come out of this lineage of the kings, out of this genealogy. He could never be officially recognized as being the king of Israel because he would have King Jeconiah in his genealogy. And that lineage was cursed by God. So why would Matthew put this genealogy in his gospel? Why would he do that? Well, you have to keep reading. If you keep reading down to verse 18, this is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. The conception did not take place through Joseph. Jesus is not the son of Joseph in the legitimate sense that we would normally expect. Jesus was the Son of God. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was not conceived of Joseph. He was not in the line of the kings to include this lineage that was cursed by God through King Jeconiah. So the reason why Matthew included this lineage was to give proof It was to give evidence to show that it would be necessary for Jesus to be conceived of the Holy Spirit because if he was not conceived of the Holy Spirit, he could not legitimately be the Messiah because of this cursed lineage. Sometimes it can be difficult to understand this paradigm of thought because the Hebraic idiomatic expressions and the Hebraic paradigm of thinking is very different from the English way of thought, the English way of thinking. But this is the idea. The idea is is that Jesus is definitely the Messiah, without question. And so because he is the Messiah, he has to be conceived of the Holy Spirit, and this is the proof that he is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Because if he was not, then there is no way that he could qualify as being the Messiah because of his cursed lineage. That's the approach that Matthew took in writing this down and the purpose of it. So again, you have two different genealogies. They say two completely different things. The genealogy in Luke describes the genealogy of Mary because of the definite article that is placed before each one of the names in the genealogy. This describes the lineage of Jesus according to the flesh. The genealogy that we have in Matthew was given for the purpose of supporting 
Matthew's statement in verse 18 that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and not of Joseph, because the question of him being the Messiah is certainly not even an acceptable question, because it's so obvious you can't consider anything otherwise. And so this is why we have two different genealogies here. It's a very important question to ask, and it does need a good, legitimate answer, especially when you see that there could be a contradiction. There is no contradiction. In order to understand why there are two different genealogies, you simply need to understand the purposes of the genealogies, why they were recorded, and why the people would refer to them. Now, in this program, I made reference to the subject of tithing, and I would definitely like to encourage you to listen to the programs that I produced on the subject of tithing, because in order to understand the subject of tithing, you have to understand the purpose of the land and the purpose of its distribution with regards to the genealogies and the things that I referred to in this program. And so it would be a very good follow-up to this program. You should take the time to listen to the programs that I produced on the subject of tithing. The first program is a little bit of a shock and awe, but I actually get into the subject in the second program. The other thing that I would like to make reference to is the subject of inheritance rights and that this is a very important foundation when it comes to our faith in Christ Jesus, when it comes to our place with him and our relationship with him. Because when we are born again by the Spirit of God, we are referred to as a child of God. And being a child of God, we now have inheritance rights through the Messiah being a child of God. And this is a very important subject to understand the will of God as a description of the inheritance that we have received. And our maturity in Christ Jesus can often be measured by our discovery of what we have received in our inheritance in Christ and our application, our use of what we have received from our God because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. And so for that, I would like to encourage you to listen to the programs that I produced on the will of God and the programs that I produced on the subject of our identity in Christ. These are two very important follow-ups to this program also. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net